0: Welcome to Next in Nonprofits. I'm Steve Boland, and I am very pleased to be joined today by Daniel Moss and Michelle Garrison, the co-founders of We and Goliath. Uh, Daniel, Michelle, thank you both so much for taking the time to talk with me today.
1: Thanks so much, Steve. We appreciate you having us on.
0: Um, I was unaware of your services, but boy, what a need for what you do in 2022 and moving forward. When I heard a little bit about it, I, I was excited to ask you to come in. But for other people that haven't uh, yet been introduced to We and Clive, can you talk a little bit about what you provide to the community? For sure. Thank you, Steve. So
2: we offer end to end virtual event management and production almost exclusively for nonprofits. And that ranges everything from simple Zoom production for webinars, conferences, all the way up to premium produced, pre-produced sessions with animation, uh, advanced interactivity for full multi-day conferences, maybe even multiple simultaneous things going on, multiple languages, you know, the whole spectrum. And we really help take the tech stress off your hands as a nonprofit. That's one of the main things that people come to us for, as well as um, really improving the design, the look and feel of an event to be a little level above what, what you're used to, as well as, like I said, the interactivity. How can we make virtual events as engaging as in-person and really pull on the benefits of them, You know, maximize them?
0: So much need to be creative about that in this time, because I think many Charities, smaller, mid-sized organizations in particular, um, had really become used to what we could do with in-person events over the preceding decades. We had a sense of what we could do to engage people. We, we knew what we might expect out of those things. And when many of those events sort of unexpectedly in 2020 had to transition to uh, a, a virtual environment for the very first time, there was, I think, a fair amount of struggle uh, with people trying to figure out how do we at least bring something. Into that space, uh, as as you think back on what, first of all, how how long have you been doing this work? I, I mean, didn't, mm-hmm. did, were you engaged in trying to help people with these things before yeah. the big rush, or was this something that happened more recently?
1: Yeah, we were we were doing this before the big rush, okay. as you put it. Um, one thing. It, it was it was a bit challenging to convince people to go virtual to bring their events virtual before the pandemic. yeah I will say because of the techno technological limitations and it just didn't it wasn't commonplace to do so. But we got into it because I was going to a lot of conferences and I was feeling like after the conference, we would we would all connect at the conference, but then afterwards that excitement started to teeter off pretty quickly. Um, the actions that we talked about at the event kind of didn't happen
0: mm-hmm. the way
1: that I was hoping that they were going to. And so we got to thinking about how can we make this even more impactful after the event? And so virtual seemed like a great way to keep bringing people back together and then how can we do it in a more engaging manner so that people actually are inspired to take action in virtual so we we've, we've been talking about this for a long time and we've also been working in the online the digital online space for about 20 years now so our minds our mindsets have been in this direction but once the pandemic hit it really took off
0: mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I we were just talking ahead of recording this uh, conversation about um, some of us really thought this the technology was there for years, uh, but the user familiarity and connection to it just wasn't in that same space where everybody had done a video call and everybody had some sense of what that meant, even if they didn't know about some of the more sophisticated things you could do. Uh, but you know, just a few years ago, the, the number of people that regularly or, or even infrequently used that tool was A much smaller number than what we're seeing now so now knowing that when people had planned in-person events 2020 uh and needed to come up with a different solution the easiest thing to do is of course throw a, a quick meeting together on your favorite video platform with lots of little boxes and ask people to talk um and you know that's i think fine as far as it goes however, uh, very quickly after doing that a few times people had what you know is affectionately referred to as zoom fatigue uh, sitting in the same chair looking at the same camera for for far too long and those events started to uh, lack something that they really used to have in person and I think really did see this place where charities were going okay we can't just do that we can't just talk at people from a screen So knowing that they're starting to recognize that how do you begin to talk about engagement and different tactics with charities? And let's let's start with the idea of what might have been the big gala as one type of event. I realize there's many things you could do, um, but if there used to be the annual fundraising gala with speeches from the lead staff and a, a good compelling story from some clients that benefited from your work and all those things that might have been on a stage in the past, uh, how do you help a, a charity envision what can we do to make this a more engaging event if it's not going to be taking place in that hotel ballroom?
2: Yeah, excellent. We've done a few virtual galas now. Um, one that comes to mind was the Buffalo Urban League, where, you know, they have a big annual gala. And it's a white tie, you know, a black tie event. And it's a, uh, you know, it's a classy networking experience with music and it's, it's a celebration. Mm -hmm. So, for them, you know, first of all, look and feel. They pre-recorded parts portions in advance at a podium with pipe and drape virtual background, but a physical podium, and then we had live speakers that matched that um, same virtual background. Um, And then we embedded the live stream not in Zoom but on a custom-designed webpage that had that gold flashing, you know, branding. Uh, But then, in terms of the interactivity. So we we like to think of, there's two main factors that were um, scales, let's say, that we're working on. The production style, from Mm -hmm. basic to premium, and the interactivity level, from just presentation style to highly interactive. So their main event, we made very polished and presentation style. And then after the main event, we had four entertainment areas, dance, music, uh, different styles of music, actually, and art. Uh, And those were provided at your own time. You could explore these things, plus live chat, plus a fundraising element with an auction. And we had live donation totals, lots of live music throughout the event as well as after. So through those elements, bringing in the celebration, the branding, uh, getting people on camera was amazing as well because people dressed up for the event. And we're doing their their (laughs) annual event again this year.
0: Yeah, Daniel. Let me jump in. By the, by, people you mean participants rather than yes, the presenting? Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So
2: the participants, they're friends, right? They've been involved supporting the Buffalo Urban League for many years. They want to see each other. So some networking element where they can be on. They can dress up nicely. They can see their friends, celebrate, talk about why they support the cause, but not trying to do that in the exact same session as the premium stuff. So it can be seamless flawless main stage content and then a separate highly interactive fun element where everybody's connecting
1: and i i want to talk for a minute about the fun element because what some of the things that we're doing in our events, and this is something that's really accessible to um, anybody in any budget. We're using a software called Wonder Me, it's wonder.me. And right now it's free while it's in beta, hmm. but we, we do table-based networking that is sort of an after party or a before party, so before the event, and it emulates that hallway discussion that a lot of us like to have, and, and it gives an opportunity for people to join different tables and pop in and pop out based on, you know, whatever topic they're interested in. We can name the tables with different topics, or organizations can have their own table at the event, and it gives that same kind of feel that you get to just organically mingle.
0: I think it's so important uh, what you're just saying there, Michelle, about how do the uh, participants not only feel like they're connecting to the organization and its mission and whatnot through something, but other people in community that maybe are just like them. It's like, well, I'm a donor, but I'm not otherwise highly engaged in this. I'm not a staff member. I'm not a board member. I, I, I just believe in what you're doing and I want to support it, but they need that or they don't need. I think it's better. It's a better event if there's opportunities to recognize that component of it, which I think was harder for a lot of charities to envision in virtual space. Uh, at the beginning, we, I don't think even very many tried. I think they really just made it a presentation that you could just watch. And you know, again, as we're learning, fine. But I think we're also learning now that we can't, uh, have that same level of success with an audience by just giving them a, a presentation uh, i am hearing from a few more folks about this idea of pre-recording some of these things to have a little bit more control over the quality uh, of it so your, daniel you were just recommending that is that yeah. uh, something that's a function of how long the the that particular presenter may be going or is it just Um, everything that can be pre-recorded. Maybe you try to pre-record. How do you think about that to make an an event feel more, you know, engaging to an audience without it feeling like I'm just watching a movie?
2: (laughs) Yeah. So like I said, you want to split up your presentation style content and your interactive content, your Mm -hmm. presentation content. Let's see how polished, beautiful it can look and it can be in a pre-recorded segment it can be hd video that's not dependent on the person's internet quality so there's Mm -hmm. no risk of lags drops freezes and there's a lot less stress additionally we can add some beautiful animation like animated lower thirds split screens it can be concisely trimmed if needed you can bring in b-roll video or you know there's so much we can do to make it look kind of tv quality for that content and then for the interactive stuff, let's go direct to Zoom or to our table-based networking tool, and let's really get people excited, engaged, off-camera, and be very talking to them, using chat, all the tools that we have to be very interactive. Does that make sense? Splitting it up. So, yeah. maximizing the best of both worlds.
1: And you have, you have a lot less stress when you pre-record and daniel mentioned a lot of bells and whistles that that can be added in in post production but but it's also something to consider just Pre-recording without all of those bells and whistles, but still playing that to the audience, so that you know that your recording is coming, your your presentation is coming off the way that you would like it to. Yeah. Um, it can eliminate some of that habit of reading a script and looking down, and the audience checking out because they're not really connecting with you and what you're saying. Um, and so overall, it reduces the stress levels and then you can also focus more on those breakouts and make those make those breakouts and that in, in engagement piece much more interesting for people and get people talking and and one thing we like to say is is really look at the ratio of engagement in your event versus the ratio of that presentation and try to try to make it the presentation less <laughs> than the engagement oh.
0: Which has been a struggle, I think, for a lot of charities for a long time. And I've run into this in particular as a board member, not necessarily as a a consultant working on the event, where we'll go over, uh, you know, here's who we want to recognize at the event, here's what we want to say thank you to. And they're putting together, you know, what ends up being just like an hour of talking. I'm like, that we, we can't spend that kind of time and and getting something trimmed in that moment is just been so difficult. And what well, we can't, you know, take any time away from that person and we can't, and we really need to hear this story. And I think that that is a very presenter focused uh, view of things rather than a participant focused view of things like, yeah, you want to say all these things they are very important to you. And we get that. But as a person who's at the event, it's maybe one thing if you're sitting at a table with a lot of uh, other people and they're clearing dishes and bringing stuff, but if you're just at home by yourself, not necessarily having those other things going on, that, that other piece seems to me to be more challenging in the virtual environment than maybe it even is in person. And, and it needs to be more sensitive to the, that user-centered experience of that person still in the chair, not doing anything but listening. And eventually they're going to tune you out, I would imagine. Uh, Michelle, Certainly. am I right on on how you talk about that or how that gets yeah. thought about?
1: Yeah, definitely. It, it's it's actually not nice <laughs> to to um force your audience to have to listen to somebody um, kind of meander on for that long. And when clients come to us with, say, for example, somebody might say they have five different organizations that need to present, and they each have five minutes to right. do so. that's that's when we say, okay, let's do this pre-recorded because we can we can essentially, limit that time and set that boundary more clearly beforehand than if they're just starting to um, blabber on.
0: <laughs> right. Whatever. Well, and I think that's one of the challenges with this though, is to convince people that this virtual environment is changing how people experience. Um, connecting with a mission. And, you know, they might give you a little bit more leeway if they were in person. Um, there they're, they're may be less likely to just stand up and leave as opposed to that virtual person who, you know, maybe they don't leave, but maybe they click over to a different screen and they're playing a little solitaire for a while or whatever distraction they may be doing um, where it's harder for you to, you know, look out over the crowd and go, that yeah, those people are not hearing what we think of as very important information. Everything that's being set up here is just so critical and you just got to hear it. But if it if we focus it back to the user and what it means to be participating in that event when it's not in the fancy ballroom or the wherever kind of thing, um, it, it's just important yeah. to stress what you're, what you're trying to tell people here about what your experience is showing on what makes the right level of engagement. Uh, is there any way to help them see or think about engagement that can be measured? I mean, other than just like we, we know how many people showed up, that we can tell you, but how do we know if they're actually sticking with you? Great questions, great points.
2: I'm going to just backtrack a little and then come, come to the point of measurement. I love how you framed it in terms of, you know as, as you're thinking about organizers and presenters, there's the information you want to communicate. But put yourself in the shoes of your audience member, what ratio of interactivity would would the audience prefer? What are they going to get the most out of? And what are your goals for the event? Right. For example, we're working with one nonprofit right now that does early childhood development. And their goal is to help their attendees create an action plan to implement a certain methodology. Right. So we're talking to them about, well, how can we one, measure that, but to create, use adult learning style, right, into their event. So people learn best when they get a chance to not just hear, but to see, but also to teach things to others is the best way to learn something. So in a breakout, share one thing that you learned with somebody else. How are you going to implement this, right? Or share a tip that you've found um, really useful for this challenge. So giving people that interaction with focused goals in breakouts that's gonna be actionable to your event goals, uh, and then enrolling them skillfully in the breakout, right? Tell them why you're asking them to come off camera, to unmute, how they're gonna contribute to the event, provide value, serve each other, how it's gonna help them remember. You gotta inspire them to participate. And that is a big benefit for a participant. It also helps you achieve your goals. And then you can measure that stuff such as very like in a smart way to your goals. So let's say this this group, they're going to ask something like on a scale of one to five, how much did this session help you prepare to implement this methodology in your work? Right. Mm -hmm. So you want to ask the smart questions to see, are
0: you achieving your goals?
2: Not just did you enjoy the session?
0: Right. So for the example of the fundraising gala, of course, one big metric of success is did we raise money? And one of the things that used to happen back in the day that seems to me to be more challenging in a virtual environment, and I'd be interested if you've heard this from others, uh, is the Uh, The the traditional kind of call out of who can join Mm. me at the $5,000 level, who can join Mm -hmm. me at the $1,000 level and pointing at people in the audience, because you've already pre planted six or seven of them that you know are going to say yes, when you call out that level and all of those tactics, but they do those things because it does create a level of excitement in a room and mm-hmm. that can help bring in people uh, and not being literally in the same room, you know, how, how do you think about creating or substituting it for something that works better or differently? Uh, I just don't know as people think about, gosh, I don't know about doing this virtually when w- we've had all this success with these th- methods that we know raise money if that's the point of the event. And I do want to get into non-fundraising yeah. events, but um, as you hear about fundraising, as one of the things that people may do events around and they're stuck with some things that they feel very comfortable with, how do you help them reimagine that same idea or tactic in a way that like, no, that can be impactful. We can have that measurement here. Great question.
2: We have done that style, which I think is called a reverse fundraiser sometimes where you have the set goal and you're asking people to reach that goal. We've also done a number of other creative Elements in in live fundraisers where you've got the auction, uh, specific benefits that people get for specific tiers, uh, and the just general please donate calls to action throughout an event. To be honest, the most effective thing that that we've seen has been one-to-one donor outreach before the event and using the live portion more as a celebration of what has been raised, who has been raised, giving them that um logo visibility name visibility a shout out thank you and just energizing people you know to donate through content but not as much has been raised to be honest in the in the live back and forth though we do that a lot it still pushes the the total fundraising amount forward but mm-hmm. like you said it's the relationships are you pointed to this by looking at somebody eye to eye right <laughs> who mm-hmm. can reach You point at somebody or you you ask. I think there's something about the live portion that is hard online because you're not seeing people eye to eye. So that one-to-one or small group outreach, you're asking an individual before the event, that has been the bulk of the outreach. So I would really encourage people to double down on that portion, use your relationships, ask people to um, reach different tiers. And then-
1: Cross promotion is- something that can really accelerate the fundraising aspect, but also the education around the cause. So we've noticed that some of the more successful fundraising fundraising efforts have uh, been multi-streamed as well on different platforms and cross-promoted on different channels based on their organizational relationships. So also when Daniel talks about reaching out one on one, he's not only talking about just individual donors, but also other organizations that share commonalities, and would be willing to promote to their list
0: that's a a important new tool idea of what can this bring in that makes it harder where, you know, yeah, we always have this at the expensive ballroom that costs $25 to park next to and blah, blah. And some people that's just never going to be their jam. Um, But this opportunity to think about, well, I can participate on YouTube live where I'm kind of used to doing things as opposed to going to your website, or I can uh, do it through this other channel. And, be part of something that everybody else is um, experiencing, but through a space that makes sense to me in that cross promotion thinking. Uh, So I, I really appreciate where you're coming from with that idea, Michelle, that that can help that because one way to get past the, challenge of how much money can we raise from you know this event if it was that fairly expensive ballroom thing where you had to pay a lot of money just to rent the room let alone the food and but it has a cap right there's only so many people you can get into that ballroom without paying a million more dollars to go into the next ballroom over or whatever it may be where these events don't necessarily have that physical limitation you might be able to bring more people in maybe every one of them isn't giving that you know $5000 gift that $10000 gift but more them might mean that you still get to that goal with more engagement through all of those platform sharing ideas, Michelle, that you were kind of talking about, right?
1: Yes, 100%. And on top of that, I, I think it's a, a good time to start thinking of fundraising as in fundraising events as more of a life cycle throughout the year. When we can bring in multiple virtual events at a lower cost, mm-hmm. why not do it more often? And use it as a time to not only ask for money, but to engage the membership, and get people talking and more excited about taking action in addition to fundraising. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Also, to your point, Steve, I think it's important when you are inviting that larger audience, think about how are you going to honor your VIP donors. Yeah, like I mentioned, not only with you know, uh, logo and name visibility and everything, but maybe you have a VIP reception where they get to speak to the keynote speaker of the event before or afterwards or other types of experiences uh, or contributions. Maybe they get to even talk at the event or whatever's relevant for your thing. Definitely focus on what do they want and then reaching out to the biggest audience possible uh, because like you said, that's one of the main benefits of virtual events.
1: Yeah. And we've also seen more high profile speakers mm. because it's a much easier ask to have right. somebody show up for an hour than to fly somewhere to be at mm-hmm. the event.
2: Or to pre-record for five minutes.
1: Yeah, we've right. we've definitely done a lot of that too. And, and it really boosts the, the clout of an organization and, mm. and people get really excited about it. And I would it. say
2: a lot of senators and all sorts of People have become very familiar with pre-recording. They've set up virtual studios. They're used to being, you know, doing being a guest at so many more events because they don't have to travel. (laughs) They can just turn on the camera, send you a a two-minute message of support for your nonprofit.
0: Yeah, I swear there are people that are buying uh, books and bookshelves just to put behind them. Uh, That you know, (laughs) I'm never going to read those, but I really want those titles behind me when people are looking at my virtual studio at home. Uh, but I, I think that that idea of, um, you know, what motivates that, that particular high-level engagement person, the, that, you know, larger dollar donor or whatever, part of it, I do think the conventional wisdom would be some people want to get dressed up and go somewhere, right? And we, of course, haven't been doing much of that in the last couple of years. So the, the're, as we think about the, the hybrid event, where you may still have some smaller contingency going to a, a space to gather. But it does seem to me that it adds a level of complexity to what you're bringing to the table to um, think about that, that physical space that people are going to be in, but a larger audience that's participating virtually uh, and bringing those two things together. So what challenges or how do you talk to people when they say, yeah, we do want to have a couple hundred people uh in person at this space but we'd like to open it up because we know there are going to be participants that don't want to travel or don't feel good about being in person yet and we don't want them to be excluded can you bring them in into, into a hybrid space and how does that work mm-hmm. well, that's a broad question so yes. <laughs> there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of types of hybrid
2: events first of all let me just give the context right what are some of the big options a hybrid event usually means you've got an in-person audience and an online audience, and there's different um, experiences for for each audience, usually, but not always. So the cheapest type of, easiest type of hybrid event to put on, means it's primarily in person, and you're just sending a live stream out online. Okay, and this we've done for decades, right? This is a common thing, um, and that's if you're doing that type of event. You want to just focus on promotion of the online experience, getting cross-promotional partners. Maybe Facebook is one of the easiest ways to do that. You can have people co-host your event, and your live stream will automatically get promoted to all of those people's pages. Great way to increase your reach. Um, we've done that to great success. But usually, you're looking to create some custom experience for an online audience so they don't feel like what we call a second-class citizen. And that could mean a special breakout for your online people where mm-hmm. they get a chance to discuss with a dedicated live host. What was your experience here? What did you learn? What were your takeaways? Um, share with the whole group, or let's push to small one-on-ones for two minutes, and then we're going to come back and discuss. Whatever your matches your content, think about really that dedicated custom guidance throughout the event. So they're never twiddling their thumbs, wondering where do I have to go next? What's happening next? Why am I watching people mingle around, you know, tables or not be able to hear well. So the ideal experience, if you have the budget or time is to know when are you switching from in-person content that's being streamed out to custom online content with a dedicated host who's walking them through their own version of that interactive in-person experience.
0: So, Michelle, do you have people that are um, coming to you with that kind of a a piece? Do you ever try to coach them one way or another about what maybe this actually ought to be just fully remote uh, rather than trying to do this thing? Or uh, if somebody says, no, I really want this, you, you just don't dig more into it.
1: Yeah, no, we are getting more requests for hybrid events. Yeah. Now that things are starting to open up, um, it's it's a bit of a grand experiment in, yeah. in some ways. And, and even though we have been live streaming for decades, like Daniel said, it is becoming more common to join online now. And it means that we're gonna have to keep pushing the edges and keep being creative and and not be afraid to try some new things even if it might not go over as well as we anticipate because it's important to keep engaging that virtual audience. And sometimes I think what we're gonna be seeing more of is that the virtual audience may be larger than the Mm -hmm. in-person audience. And that means that they're becoming more important. (laughs) And the virtual component is is maybe even more important than the in-person component. And how how do we really cater to the individuals that are in person? Maybe there's more of a VIP type of a scenario for those that actually show up. In, in person, and then the online groups still get that same level of interactivity. and, mm-hmm. and we, like we set up these full conference platforms that have really um, great networking possibilities. And, and just being able to match people, you know like similar to a dating site, being able to match people based on their interests has become a really powerful way to kind of cut through cut, cut through the noise. And get to the right people at the event, and and I can see that the networking is evolving to the point that we can incorporate both the hybrid, the in person, and the virtual attendees, and really accomplish bigger things quicker and more efficiently because of who we're able to quickly meet.
2: Mm-hmm. Can I come back also to the your point about a, a larger online audience? Mm-hmm. I think. When you would want to do that would be if you have a national audience or if you want to expand to a national audience, then, and you have national speakers, right? That is when a a virtual event or a primarily virtual event can, can be the best because you're saving everybody the flights, the travel, the hotels, the costs are so much lower. It's easier to get more speakers, easier to get more attendees. And then your in-person, if you, like Michelle said, had a a VIP audience you want to invite maybe for your keynote, and they come to the office or they come to a a nice space, then you've got the, that portion is hybrid, can look great, you can get the the in-person experience for for those people. Um, But then getting, we've seen in that scenario, getting your speakers and your partners to promote to their audiences around the country have have helped people get as many as seven times more attendees at their conference than they had after a decade of building up their in-person event, right? So there's huge benefits to lower costs, lower environmental footprint and larger reach for virtual. If you're wanting to go national or global, that is, even though you could, Invite everybody in person. Consider a pure, a primarily virtual event for those reasons.
1: And there's also leaning into the idea of having a virtual event before an in-person event, so that people get kind of kind of get to know each other before huh. they get in person, and then the the conversation starts at a deeper level. Once you're in person, um, it really it it enrich it. <laughs> enriches the experience of that in-person event
0: well that's a really interesting idea michelle i've not heard that presented before as one way of um thinking more multi-stage and and i think you know getting away from the idea of the the traditional fundraising gala and into other types of events which have other types of outcomes you're looking for so you mentioned uh, a multiple event conference, for example, where there might be a keynote and breakout sessions and, and vendor connections and all those kinds of things that happen at those types of deals, where that could be over a couple of days traditionally, rather than mm-hmm. you know a couple of hours that might happen. It does seem like uh, the ability to spread that over a different time period, where you may have some virtual pieces that happen um, ahead of other things that need to happen in order to allow people to build that connection could be a really interesting and important tactic. So uh, do, do you see people doing that more by like conference track, for example, if you were gonna talk about it as a conference or how do you help people make that connection early before the main things start happening?
1: Yeah. So we're starting to convince our clients to do it more often. I wish that almost every event had that pre-event component because we're finding that it is a really powerful thing to implement. Um, One of the things is just starting earlier with the planning process, because we find that if we're starting, you know, six, eight weeks out, that's a good time Pretty much to plan, the virtual event, but then to add on these additional things that it becomes more challenging to try to incorporate it and to promote it. So instead, starting starting that earlier and even having pre events as much as a month out just to get people acclimated to talking to each other and and the way that I like to think of it is there's like lead nurturing campaigns, it's, it's kind of a marketing industry term, but we, we talk about this with email campaigns, for example, to keep people engaged and keep, keep them um, coming back to your brand over time. And we can really use virtual events in a similar manner in an even better way to keep members engaged with each other and with the community at large. So not only pre-event, but also post-event, what kind of actions do we want people to take?
2: Mm -hmm. Can I share also another kind of marketing strategy that can be applied to events?
0: Mm -hmm.
2: So one of the best techniques to make copywriting effective is to use the language of your audience in your words back to them. So to ask them, for example, why Why do you donate to this cause, right? Why are you a volunteer for our nonprofit? And then use those benefits when you're asking for volunteers, right? Use their emotional words. So you can apply that approach to your with your pre-event. Rather than just asking, surveying people after the event to get feedback, did you like it or not? You can pretty much guarantee they're going to like it. If you ask them in advance, what would make this conference the most impactful for you? How could this conference, like what subjects, what formats would be most impactful for you? Inspiring, fun. What takeaways would you want to come away with and help them to actually help you co-create your agenda? You don't have to come up with all this on your own. And in fact, if you let them come up with you, then you know they're going to appreciate
1: it. And if your agenda has a lot more engagement incorporated into it, your job becomes that much easier too, because you're not planning to keep people entertained (laughs) with a presentation. (laughs) Instead, they can keep each other entertained.
2: And this is especially helpful if you're planning an event with workshops, trainings, or other types of co-creating, you know, collaborative experiences.
1: And I don't have any hard stats on this, but I would gather that Many people that are part of a, a nonprofit community are also attending because they want to interact with other people. They no. they want to feel as if they have they're around like-minded individuals and are able to participate in some way. So it I feel like I keep coming back to this engagement piece, but but please please incorporate, <laughs> incorporate more engagement into your events. Oh, uh, and, oh, and, and, oh, Go ahead. <laughs> yeah,
0: let, let me ask you a little bit about that engagement thing in a way that's harder and has been harder in the real world events versus the virtual all over the place uh, is um, having sponsors or vendors um, as a component of that thing. So if you're doing a fundraising event and you've got some event sponsors you want to recognize, you, you, you want them to feel valued and all that. If you're doing a, a conference type thing and you people legitimately want some time to sort of virtually wander a vendor hall and have some conversations, but it's a little different from the other pieces. So, as you think about those uh, tools that have been part of nonprofit events in different ways, how do they play into the virtual space? As you talk about pulling these things together, uh, you know, how do you how do you think about recruiting people to be supporters and and uh, um, financial contributors to these things when they're vendors or uh, or sponsors, if if maybe they don't see themselves, you know, setting up a booth and and putting a widget in somebody's hand when they walk by the table.
2: Totally. There's different types of vendors and events, of course, but I'll give you some examples. Um, one one event we did for the AFL-CIO had, some partners. So the afl if you don't know, they're the largest collection of unions in the country, right? So their sponsors were people who offered services to unions. And to, to really support those sponsors, to make sure that they didn't just uh, have somebody click around at a, a webpage and read, but not actually learn or engage. We brought them on stage. We gave we had a panel uh, where they each got to present and then the attendees got to ask live questions. Then they also had, like you said, a virtual expo booth where with calls to action, with downloadable resources, you can even, some tools, some like enterprise platforms, they'll let you schedule appointments within the platform, maybe before or after the event if people are busy during, have live chat, all of those things but that's optional so maybe you just bring them on stage I think that's one of the most valuable things giving your premium sponsors speaking time and some of the other premium benefits you could offer would be a dedicated email or at least part of an email to all your conference attendees it's high visibility really valuable and of course a shout out or a recommendation from you and it it, you have to give context to the event so it would apply to the different format but if appropriate, talk about why that sponsor is useful to that attendee, how it's going to help them in their work or uh, yeah
1: yeah and with pre-recorded sessions you can always insert some information about that set, that sponsor in the middle of the session. Um, but something else that's really beneficial on the virtual side of things for sponsors is that they get a lot more data in some of the conference platforms that we use they can they can actually get a list of all of the people that visited their booth which you don't get when you're in person only you you'll get some of that data but not all of it and so the outreach after the event becomes even more important for those sponsor for those sponsors
0: mm-hmm.
2: one last tip on the tech to your to your question steve is giving people the sponsors a way to offer some sort of gift to the attendees is very impactful. Uh, another marketing strategy that we've learned over the years is you have to create urgency to get people to act. So if you have your, if you can ask your sponsors to have a time-limited giveaway or a special coupon code or bonus or maybe a free one-on-one consultation, something unique to the attendees, maybe time-bound, that is gonna drive the most action, get the most results for your sponsors.
0: So we're starting to run a little low on time and there's so much more that we could be talking about, but I, I do want to make sure to just ask the question about, uh, that I think is probably, you know, putting myself in the audience's shoes right here, right now going, okay, these are great ideas, but you know, my budget is not $1.3 million for this thing. So I can't afford to do, you know, all these really cool ideas you're talking about. Um, how, how do you think about, uh, approaching organizations who are really concerned about this is going to be a uh, expensive way to do business. And that's a challenge for me.
1: Okay. So let's talk Zoom for a minute because Zoom fatigue has been thrown out there quite a bit. And mm-hmm. sure, it, it can get boring to just sit and listen to somebody. But, but a Zoom, a simple Zoom meeting can be very fun. And, and in certain circumstances, I, I've actually been on Zoom meetings that are more fun than the in-person <laughs> event. <laughs> and, and part of it is learning how to relax and let go during that call, incorporating the talents of your membership, your community into, that, into the Zoom meeting. So bring in music. Um, start, get everyone to dance, get everyone to unmute and cheer and, and share in the chat what they're thinking. Just keep it interesting. And and you'll get a lot more out of that just simple Zoom meeting if you're putting that energy into it. And one of the other things that really helps is to identify your power users in your community. So find the people that really bring the energy to the table Bring them together and form a bit of a nucleus, so that the people start to understand the protocols. of They're going to be on video. They're going to be um, energetic. They're going to be dancing whenever there's music on and and participating. And those people will, in a sense, set the stage for the rest of the attendees that have come onto the Zoom call.
0: Cool. Daniel, thoughts on uh, how uh, people may be concerned about boy, that's? it just has to be expensive. There isn't any other way. How do you help them think through that?
2: Well, yeah, so I think Michelle said it so wonderfully okay. that you but to just wrap, you know, give some context to that. What she's saying is essentially, you don't need to pay for custom graphics, animation, custom designed web pages, even advanced software, right? You The basics of a virtual event is a schedule and the live content, right? And some supplemental information. Usually we create interactive virtual event platforms that also have a beautiful schedule, that supplemental info there, it's some networking. That can be affordable and we also, by the way, have some great agency level nonprofit discounts if you're looking for that kind of software. But then you know most of the budget is the pre-production, the graphics, the animations, the promotion, paid marketing, all of that stuff. So you can put on large events, small events with a small budget. But like Michelle said, focus on the quality of your content, your quality of your interaction. How can you have fun? What are your goals? How can you achieve those goals? It's just, it's just that. Uh, it can be a spectacular event on a very low budget, you could do it all on your own, or you could call on somebody like we and Goliath. And as you can see, Michelle's very passionate about coaching people on the interactive portion. Maybe you just need some strategy. Maybe you also need somebody to help you run the tech, but uh, they don't have to be expensive. And and they're also much cheaper in general uh, than any in-person event where you need to rent a venue, have anybody fly in. So they're already cheaper to start.
1: Yeah, you right. could sit down and just make a list of the people that you know in, in your, your world, in your bubble, that could contribute during the event, even if it's just for 10 minutes of it.
0: Yeah. No, I appreciate what you're saying about, uh, you know, events. It depends on what you're trying to do with the event, right? That sometimes we talk about them being fundraisers and yes, they bring in some money, but the uh, amount of unpaid staff time that goes into coordinating the silent auction um, mm. is rarely calculated, right? When it comes mm-hmm. to these things where it's like somebody was out there hustling $25 gift cards and putting together, you know, vacation giveaway weekends and all that stuff. Yeah. And, and you look at the return of cash. That comes in like hey, we made ten thousand dollars on that. I'm like, great, we spent twenty thousand dollars in staff time on that. Um, <laughs> yeah. you know, that that those are things that we have to look at. Those other events, those other styles, um, also have their costs associated with them, and probably if you're feeding people and renting rooms and all those other things, you know, more so, um, but it is a, a new world of thinking forward for charities to look at all of the things they want to get done with events, sometimes it's raising money, sometimes it's uh, really doing that education piece or, or partner engagement or, you know, all those other pieces Uh, And I'm just really grateful you took the time to come on today to talk about this. We unfortunately are now right at the end. So um, if you have any closing thoughts that you'd like to throw in, uh, Daniel, Michelle, get like one more minute and we just have to wrap up.
2: Sounds good. So
0: to wrap on the cost
2: point, like you brought up, I would say we have, uh, if you're looking for tools, tips on tools, we have a free ebook on the best free and cheap online tools on our website, weandgoliath.com. We have discounts for nonprofits for our services, and we can recommend certain free tools. If you're looking even to do DIY, or if you're looking for support, so we can, we can happy to help any of your listeners, anyone listening out there right now, Great. you know, think about the structure of your event and how to get the most bang for your buck. Anything you want to add?
1: I just want to say, just keep innovating, have fun with it, um, plan tight, hang loose, you know, <laughs> get, get, make it what, put put everything into it that will make your event shine. And don't be afraid to do something a little bit out of the ordinary.
0: I I love the plan tight and hang loose. That's a really great uh, way to think about a lot of things in the world, not just getting your best virtual events together, but uh, a, a good philosophy to carry around with us everywhere. So uh, Daniel Moss and Michelle Garrison are the co-founders of We and Goliath. We'll have links in the show notes to that website. And I'll try to make sure we do a direct one for that uh, ebook to think about resources for people that are wanting to do this better. But uh, Daniel, Michelle, both of you, thanks for taking the time to talk with me today.
1: Thanks so much, Steve. Pleasure,
0: Steve. Good luck, everybody.